This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hi, Max. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And who do we have in the 3D Pod today? Uh, well, today we've got John uh, Wilsinski with us, and he is the executive director of America Makes. And America Makes is kind of America's national kind of innovation, 3D printing kind of uh, collaboration organization. And he works for the uh, National Center for the Defense and Manufacturing and Machining, NCDMM. And uh, he's been there for 12 years. And, uh, uh, and before that, he was working in, in uh, General Motors. And he's essentially trying to get America to 3D print more. Uh, in a kind of strategic way. That's I think. I, think, I don't know if I, if you'd sum, sum up your 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 <laughs> what you're trying to do in that same way, uh, John, or not. That that pretty much sums it up. I think over overall, we're we're just trying to work on adoption. Okay. All right. And 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 so generally, what what is America makes? It's like uh, you know, is is it a it's a national organization has some member organizations, uh, but 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 yeah. Could you explain a little bit better than I did? I think. <laughs> Sure, I, I think I can. Um, so America Makes is, is a national institute where what we consider ourselves a public-private partnership. And what we mean by that is we're, you know, we work across and with government, with and across industry and academia. So trying to be a, a conduit, if you will, between those types of organizations, but all back to the central mission of increasing the adoption of additive manufacturing in the U.S., with an ultimate goal of assuring that we're globally competitive and ultimately a global leader in the technology. And how important is, is additive manufacturing 3D printing to America? I mean, is it just, I mean, because a lot of people consider it nice to have technology. Other people think it's something nice on the desktop. Some people might think it has some limited usage, but how important is it? To, how important do you think it is? I, as you can imagine, um, being the executive director of the Institute, I think it is the most important thing uh, we could be thinking about right now. But not in, 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 to be serious, it, I think it is quite important. We regularly have the conversation around any new advanced or new technology. It is something that ultimately somebody is going to or, or specific entities are going to win at. And I don't necessarily mean a company. Um, but what we're trying to do is ensure that the country recognizes the opportunity and implements it where it makes sense. And I think that's ultimately key. That's really what we're seeing right now is it, it makes good sense in certain applications. It is making progress in others. And in some, it's, you know, it's, it is not the panacea for all our problems. It okay. can very well be a solution to some of our problems. Who do you think it's currently underserved? Like, I know we know additive is quite popular, obviously, in aerospace and medical and places of that nature. But where is it not being applied? Do you think that quickly? You know, yes, th those are the places where we've. You know, I don't want to say we figured it out, but it it certainly has insertion points that that make sense, and we're you know constantly uncovering more of areas where it is less clear. Um, but has the potential to make tremendous impact, I would say, are around or in the areas of automotive, 
and construction. I think there are areas where there's there's certain certainly plenty of conversation about those industries. I wouldn't say we have, you know, necessarily terrific application spaces right yet, but as that comes on, and I, I believe that we will. So it's not that we we will, it's not possible. It's just where we're at right now. And I think, you know, there's a fair bit going on, I know, on the development side to, to change that. So as that changes, it has the potential to make dramatic impacts to, you know, the technology really across all sectors. And, and I think that that will be ultimately uh, potentially the most impactful thing that we see as we see there's just the communities associated with it are so large. And they're also pervasive across the country. So it's something where, you know, I think that that is something that we'll see help on the on the adoption side, which is ultimately what we're really trying to influence. But on automotive, I mean, the real the real problem really is cost, right? I mean, it's the automotive companies are used to paying two dollars for a part. We can make them for twenty or two hundred, and and that just isn't working for them, right? Or math is not great um, no. right now, and I, and I think that's where. The tech development side of things are, are, are maturing. Um, again, it's not going to, it is unlikely that we're going to be printing our chassis anytime soon. Um, mm-hmm. Not that we couldn't do it. It's a question of whether it makes sense for the, the masses. However, there are other manufacturing processes in AM. And I think, and I ultimately think that's where we'll, we'll see changes over the coming decade in new technology being developed that we're just able to do things at speed and scale that we can't today or we're we're not aware that we can do today so you know and until then like you said the the math doesn't make sense in in most applications and it's beyond some interesting application spaces it's not pervasive and ultimately then doesn't make the impact that we want to see the Mm -hmm. question will be what what that you know silver bullet is or golden application if there is one or not and you know what manufacturing process ultimately brings it to us is it one that we know today or is it one that is you know currently under development yeah because I, th- I think it's interesting that on the one hand we don't a lot of stuff what we're doing is we're seeing people conveyancing like like really taking builds by their hands and cleaning them with brushes and stuff like that and there you're saying, wait a minute, if we just applied the right automation solutions to that, we didn't have to, we don't have to completely reinvent the wheel. We could really make this significantly cheaper by just, you know, making the, all this post-processing automated, for example, on powder bed fusion. Meanwhile, we have other stuff like uh, Surat or uh, Vulcan forums where it's unproven and new, but if we did it, oh my God, it would be amazing. Well, if it actually ended up working, you know what I mean? So, so you know, how do you divide your time and your effort between those kind of like Let's make what we have now a little bit better through like, you know, kind of like engineering. And then let's kind of make, uh, you know, take a long punt on something that's going to be revolutionary. Yeah, agreed. That's uh, certainly the challenges that exist in our world uh, and, and well stated. I think that that's where, from our point of view as an institute, our primary focus is on maturing the technology and then developing the associated workforce, et cetera, and building the community. But on specifically talking about the technology development side of things, we operate primarily in the applied research um, space. So with that, we're not working on gee whiz new approaches. There are things that have been proven 
uh, just not at scale. And what we're trying to do is mature them to the point of commercialization and ultimately adoption. So with that, from, from the Institute's point of view, our primary focus is on, on maturing things that have shown potential, um, where that you know, conflicts a little bit with, you know, the, not the point you made, but the kind of the situation that we're in is we're incrementally making gains to, you know, which in, in some ways makes folks not as interested because everything takes a fair bit of time. Uh, but on the other hand, there's only so much that can be done at any point of time. We have to make sure we're investing in areas that have potential that we can show gains. And that, that's obviously where it has fit into the aerospace community well, the medical community well, you know, proven. We've been able to prove it to the point that it has made progress and has found some insertion mm-hmm. um, that next challenges you know it, it's about i think uncovering those next things to do while taking some shots the question is which shots do you take uh, that's the part i don't about your job that i don't understand i mean i wouldn't understand how to do that well you know what i mean like because it's, it's always kind of this like you never know in, in retrospect if you made the right decision right agreed and i think so we are as a organization you know we're, we're partially funded through government investment so there are you know specific you know, we're not taking, for what we do at least, big risks that we're not the type of organization that is betting on something that's going to be dramatically different than the current solution, I guess. And, and what I mean by that is, so there, there are other organizations that are focused on much earlier research and development than we are. So the, the taking big shots is not our space, really. We're, we're much more focused on how do we mature it to the point where we can insert it in the right area and make progress, make impact, and then incrementally improve. Um, obviously, we're trying to do that as quickly as possible and do it in a way that we move from everything being empirically based and instead move towards, you know, more modeling and simulation focused approaches. But with, with our current requirements for, you know, qualification and certification that, that makes that difficult. But I think that's where some of our opportunity is to accelerate the, the rate at which we're able to do it as a community. How do you define something that's been matured at some point? Like if, if you're talking about con- construction, so it's like a concrete printer as they exist now, I, I don't consider that fully matured. Or, you know, could be matured to come around, but is that the kind of thing you wait till there's something out there that's kind of there and then help to push it to the next level? Yes, that's that's exactly it. I would say, and that that is a great example of an area where we're maybe I shouldn't say it, but kind of admittedly un- unsure of exactly where we fit in and what our role is in that. You know, we have been engaged in the AM construction space at different times over our 10-year journey as an institute. I myself actually led uh, a couple of centennial challenges for NASA at, while I was at the institute on the 3D printed habitat challenge back in, I guess, 15 or so time yeah, frame, 15, 16. And saw a lot of excitement, but uncertainty on where it fits in or what the opportunity is and, and have recently 
um, really in the past year seen a surge of, of interest around the topic again. So we're, we're currently, I guess, actively engaged in, in conversations around where does someone like ourselves as a public-private partnership fit in? And, and some of that is, is there an opportunity where you know, no single company is able to make the impact that they want. They're all doing great things, but if we're able to organize and we, we use this, this concept of convene, coordinate and catalyze. So how can we bring the community together around a particular segment of AM technology, coordinate what needs to be done next to show that we're making the right progress and then ultimately insert or catalyze you know, whether it's funding, resources, investments, et cetera, to ultimately move the change to the point that we're able to see the impact. How that all gets done, you know, is, is dependent on individual circumstances and individual technologies. Okay. Because I think uh, th- there's a lot of things that we, we, we see that, that, you know, that would be done, but kind of the more Oak Ridge and the DARPA type side of things, like all the, and then there's a lot of stuff that, that, that we expect to be commercial opportunities. And then, you know, and, or are being like, you know, our, you know, VCs are throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at like fundamentally new technologies and, and also iterative, you know, things like better QA and, and, and better software. Um, so if we're identifying these kind of like these gaps in the market or like a gap analysis essentially for you guys, I mean, what are the things that excite you most? Because like, you know, you know, is it technology or is it just like things like things like, you know, one of the biggest problems we all complain about is like our file type, you know, the SCL, you know, it, and we can complain about it, but still we've been complaining about it for <laughs> for like such a long time and not, not been doing anything. But is it really these kind of like structural kind of barriers or what excites you? What what frightens me and not excites me, but is there's so many of those different kinds of opportunities, you know, and, and that's something that we're constantly challenged with is where do we get engaged because there's just too much to do. Um, I, I think there there are plenty of frustrations out there and plenty of opportunities, but it's it's really about making sure that we're working on the right thing. So. What excites me the most right now, and this you know may or may not make sense, so bear with me for a minute, um, <laughs> is I think we've actually done a lot more and have a lot more capability than we think. One thing that we're really suffering from right now as a you know technology that's trying to insert itself into the mainstream is there is very limited awareness and adoption, or excuse me, awareness and education around the technology. In a lot of ways, you know, we've done work and many others have done work that has proven the technology works in certain situations, scenarios, applications for particular materials, use cases, etc. But if we want to all be honest with ourselves, the community that understands that and has been exposed to that is very small. And I think that's, you know, something I'm sure you guys are, are working to change, something we're working to change. It's all about getting the message out. What we're, where I really see an opportunity right now is, is in that awareness and education side. It, it's something we call ecosystem building. So how do we build the community so that we're in the position that as we do come up with new technologies and components and application spaces, there's actually somebody who can pick that up and make a business out of manufacturing these components. You know, that's where I'm saying, I don't know if that's 
you know, exciting to you all or not, but 10 years in, this is, you know, and, and, and spending a fair bit of the last year reflecting on what have we done? Has it been impactful? What should we be doing moving forward? I think realize now that some of what has been proven needs to be a lot better distributed than what it is. And, and that may be where we make the most impact. And, and, and at the same time, we've got to keep racing down the path of developing new technology and continuing to work on qualifying more critical components in those kinds of things and having better understanding of materials data and de design allowables and all of those sorts of things. But I think there's a huge opportunity to just get more people to understand what a select few know right now. I was going to say, do you see that in a, in a four-year or eight-year or 10-year kind of timeline of horizon in terms of how you have to educate starting in high school or college, so to speak, to, to have the people that can use the technology coming out? Like we have to increase the, the user base, if you will, or the number of individuals that are capable of using this tech. Or are you seeing it more as people that are already out in the industry that you're trying to get to understand how the technology can be applicable to their particular circumstances? Personally, we, we deal a lot with incumbent workers, so training a, an existing workforce. And I think there is tremendous opportunity there to, because in, in so many ways, they're you know, oftentimes skilled workers and have pieces but they just don't. I mean, the easiest example that we all like to use is that of a machinist. It's, it's not that difficult to get someone who already understands G-code to understand, you know, how a printer works and, and how to interact with it. Um, but at the same time, we want to change our current situation where most, I would say most probably, of the components that we're manufacturing with AM are direct replacements for existing designs, which is not truly leveraging what additive can do. And, and, you know, in certain ways, underselling its capability. I believe that will mostly come through folks being trained in the technology and then being inserted into the workforce to then work with, you know, the, the skilled existing experienced workers that are in place. So I think they all have to happen up, you know, it has to happen at the same time. Your first part of the question of when, oh, I'd love to think that it's going to be, you know, in the next five years, we'll see dramatic changes. In a way, in the past five years, we've seen pretty dramatic changes. I've seen it happen around, you know, our physical location where we sit in Ohio of just the most everyone in the community understands the, at least the concept of 3D printing or has heard it enough, you know, locally or on the news or from students at the local university or community college. That's not good enough, obviously. We need that to exist everywhere. That's going to take more time, I think. Yeah. yeah. But is it, could you also just be educating, like imagine you took like a three hour class, you know, just online class, kind of webinar class, you know, you could not, you could understand kind of, you could be, I don't know about conversant in AM, but you could understand key principles to, a, uh, to an extent that you could apply it or begin to apply it or begin to understand it in your business. Is it something like that? Would, would something like that also work? Do you see that also in your purview or? Oh, absolutely. We, if, if you were talking to our education and workforce development director instead of myself, he would be talking through what we call our, our uh, education pathways. So there, there's a variety of different 
opportunities that exist and we need to be working on all of these. So we're working on everything from, you know, short three minute modules that are all digital based uh, modules for middle schoolers to a apprenticeship program that's recognized by the Department of Labor that has thousands of hours of training associated with it. So we're, we're working on everything from, we, we call it the K to gray. So everywhere in between, <laughs> there, there is something that needs to be done on the educational front for everybody. You know, going further than that, I mean, you know, education is one thing. And I think if the if there would be like national courses for an operator, a machine operator, for example, and then a machine, that's kind of, I can see that happening. But if we're talking about capacity increases, you're going to have to get people, companies to invest their time and stuff. How do you, how do you try to accomplish that? We've, again, a number of, of ways. So we have a couple of programs that we're currently working under some Department of Defense funding specific to military services, but it is, it has a advisory group who is a, a group of stakeholders from industry with the, you know, the, the angle there is to make sure that anyone who's coming out of a, you know, enlisted profession and then moves into the uh, private workforce is trained in a way and against credentials that are recognized nationally. It's a big part of what we're focused on at the Institute is nationally recognized credentials to make sure that we're training people against a set of criteria that are recognized in industry. And how we're doing that is, is working very closely with industry partners and you know program developers within industry to make sure the classwork that we're part of is addressing the needs of industry. So we have, we have many dozens of different industry partners who contribute regularly to make sure that we are building the correct body of knowledge. So we, we maintain something called the additive manufacturing body of knowledge, and it has, it's broken down by competencies, which are primarily informed by industry. So making sure that we're building, and, and not we're, but the community, is building programs that are built against this set of national criteria so that if I take it in you know, the Southeast, the Northwest, wherever it might be, ideally we get to the position that you know, you're trained against a set of recognized credentials that can be transferable from place to place, job to job. And if you're looking at the, 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 the things that you think are, are really a priority, I mean, is it a priority to work, for example, in aerospace? To, to, you know, because things like hypersonics, it seems like for hypersonics, you know, additive is going to make a huge component of making that successful or not. Is that like a priority you guys as well? Or? Yes, absolutely. It is. It is an active area of research right now on uh, specifically on the technical research side of things. Um, currently underway, you know, through a, a number of different programs, you know, both within the Institute and, and many other places that are that are documented. So I, I think, again, it, that's one where this is about rethinking the way we do things. And in that case, it's not something that we're I mean, we do have experience and we don't. So it is a ripe opportunity for a, a new technology, but also a technology that's able to operate in harsh conditions, et cetera. So yes, I, I, it's certainly a important area of investigation right now. Yeah. And, and are there other ones that you, you can you can talk about or do you, that you're especially excited about that you think are really important? Or? 
So, I mean, I, continuing, we're, we're heavily in, invested in the you know, aerospace side of things and continue to be because there is tremendous opportunity beyond even what we have today. So there, you know, maybe a, a, a step above that, you know, specific application space will be the area of, of just materials data availability. I feel that we have as a community, we must get to the point where we have data that anyone can get access to. And our current approach to generating data is quite costly. Um, we, it's proven to be effective. So we need to continue to go down that path, but we also need to continue to explore other other methods of, of generating data and, and getting our tech warrant holders and, and others in the position where they're able to have enough confidence in the data that we're generating. So access generation first and then access to material data is something we feel is, is critical in order for us to really make the gains that we're, we feel the technology is able to, to bring. What, what I think is really interesting is that fundamentally you're kind of as America competing with, well, you're essentially also competing with Italy, I guess, on a certain extent. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm thinking, you know, much more so with, with closed societies, right? And, and we won't be mean and name anybody, but there's like closed societies that are trying to develop. Also, let's take hypersonics as an example. They're trying to do that, but they're trying to do that in a very kind of goal-directed, top-down kind of way, right? You know, how, and, and we, in the Cold War, the United States won because of entrepreneurship, because the economy was much larger, because the economy didn't drag down uh, through military to spending as much as, uh, as the competing economies. You know, is it, is it possible to replicate that success and have a, a, you know, as an open or semi-open institute, let's say, in an open society, win against a closed society trying to develop these technologies? Uh, I, I certainly hope <laughs> um, well, you know. not, not sure. I mean, I, I think we're, we're confident in the approach you know, that we, we've had in place for, I guess, a couple of centuries now. The reason for having organizations like us, and you, you mentioned a couple of the others, there, there are many that exist, and we have tremendous national lab network within the United States, um, is, is ultimately about identifying the require, first requirements and then proper priorities and then obviously finding ways to invest in them at an appropriate level that you can make an impact. I, I believe we're on the right path there, um, specific to you know, the, the topic that you, know, you, you mentioned. There is very focused um, investment, uh, but not, not something I know enough about to comment on uh, whether we're uh, positioned well or not. I, I certainly hope as a citizen we are. It used to be the kind of like last the the first battle like the open society won right but because yeah they used the general the same model as it was now we're seeing defense spending is 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 at a much higher level let's say well it depends on how you look at it really but you know we're seeing the idea that everything the United States makes is becoming much more expensive so it becomes much more expensive for the United States to make one single airplane and also to field one single airplane and is that is that is that a problem for you as well do do you think that that because to me, it seems like it's it's a little bit less sure this time if that the U.S. will win because everything it makes is so expensive this time around compared to before. You know, it's, it's certainly a concern. I, I think that is you know on on the other hand, an area where there is opportunity through insertion of new technology. I mean, I think that that's something historically 
the U.S. has been quite good at implementing um, and, and being able to take advantage of and, you know, the, the true entrepreneurial spirit of the country um, has, has proven to be successful in the past. I think that that does get challenged as, you know, the, the model changes and the organization of, you know, the, the company structures that exist and, and the number of players and all of those kinds of things. You know, but ultimately the the will of the people, if you will, and the the, the fight for freedom, I think, has has got us well positioned. So I, beyond that, I, I I wouldn't say I've I've dug in deep enough to know enough about what anyone else is doing to to give a good comment. Where are the things you like? Because you guys are based in in kind of like Ohio. That that was also that was intentional, right? That was an idea of making this kind of resurgence of the Rust Belt kind of thing. Is that really is that been important to you? Do you think? It's, it's been very important to us um, where the, we're really, I mean, the, the intention was and has been to develop this into the tech belt. And we feel I actually just left a meeting where we were meeting with another a group of folks from another community in kind of central U.S. that are looking to understand what's working here, how we've implemented it, and, and has it been impactful or not. So it, it's been very important to us. It's a it's a big part of what we do. Is you know our our overall goal is to have a national strategy. So a national strategy for developing technology and a workforce and a community. You know a infrastructure, if you will, the supply chain, et cetera, but to have regional impact. So that really starts at home for us and have gotten very engaged in the local community, you know, across our, our, our counties that we live in, to the state, to the neighboring states. It is, it's been a, a big part of what we've done over the past 10 years. And, and if you have somebody, because we see other people kind of try to, you know, have these regional blocks or sometimes also countrywide. But if we're looking at a country like Denmark, they have a, uh, we had uh, Frank Rosengren on. He's trying to do, you know, be kind of the, 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 the central uh, hub for, for 3D printing in Denmark. That's also kind of comparable area to the region of the U.S. you're looking at. And, you know, what, what are some successful things you would, you would, you would uh, kind of recommend for other people trying to stimulate a regional growth in this technology? We've had the most success to date has been specific to the education and workforce development side of things. So it is it, something where we've, we've been able to develop a model. Again, as, as long as we're getting the right subset of the or stakeholders engaged from the beginning and identify what requirements we need to build a set of curricula against, that is something that we can pick up and replicate, you know, with, with modification in other areas for other industries. And we have been able, to, we, we ourselves have been able to do that um, successfully a number of times where we've built programs through, you know, a state funding in one region or federal funding and been able to pick that up and then modify it and redeploy it at much lower cost in another part of the country. I think it's about having us, in our case, the Institute America Makes as the central convener, we're able to bring all of those voices together and, and, and make sure we're working on the right activities. And, and then it's about a deployment strategy. You obviously can't go do everything at once, but I think it's important and something we've spent 
you know, quite a bit of energy in, in doing is you also need to have capability across your region, whatever that means, whether it's your, your state, your providence, your country, et cetera. And we saw it back over the past two years really show its face, but also show the impact of distributed manufacturing and the ability to locally produce. In order to locally produce, you have to have local knowledge. So I think that's something that you know, we regularly advise areas or as we're looking to create a spoke of the hub that exists here, something that the region has to want as well. You need to have the right parties engaged in order for that to work. Um, pushing it on an area who is, is not going to work. So I think that would be some of uh, the advice I would, would offer anyone across the globe trying to do this to try to, to implement something. And I think I think interesting, by the way, that that you also have community. And it sounds kind of cute. It sounds like, oh yeah, we'll hang out together. But but, that's, <laughs> but we know. I know. If I'm from the Netherlands, and we all of a sudden I I noticed that we were developing much faster than other countries, right? Just because yeah. we got a little bit of a head start, and we all kind of knew each other. So I know that's really important. But I think maybe people will just see that community thing as being kind of like a nice kind of get together kind of thing, and not really that that important, right? It, agreed i would say until two years ago you know it was such a moment for so many different reasons but i also think it was a pretty significant moment for us and others like us who are trying to move a technology forward especially additive that had a pretty significant impact but it is well recognized here in in the u.s that part of the reason that this worked was because of the relationships that have been built over time and without those relationships, you know, the, the, the concept of community doesn't exist unless you put the time in and establish that and ultimately all care about something. I mean, I think that's one huge benefit the AM community has going for us is they're, they're a passionate bunch, whether it's, you know, in the U.S., the Netherlands, Italy, you know, really anywhere. They're, they're a community that is really connected to what they're trying to do. I think our challenge is we've got to move from that into kind of an industrial capability and, you know, be in the position that this is adopted in the right places where it makes sense. So, again, it's the the old tool in the toolbox analogy that we all love to use, but it, it's true. We've got to figure out where and when to use it. And it's not appropriate all the time but it's appropriate more than we give it credit right now. And I think it's really interesting. One of the things you guys, it's basically a major claim to fame as well because you guys played a big role in it. And also because I think it's really interesting. It's, it's, it's a DOD AM roadmap, right? Which is uh, uh, which you guys were a part of and, and, uh, and a whole bunch of other people were a part of as well. Um, you know, that was laid out. I'm not entirely sure when that was completed, actually. But, but I remember that that was also published. And that was really yes. interesting, I think. That was in 2015, 16 or something like that, right? We did that, I think, and again, it was. It all goes back to this concept of normalizing information, get it in the position that people can do something with it. it they're all. I, I've spent a, a fair bit of this last year thinking about what we do and have done, and is it appropriate, and what we should be doing moving forward. And, and the concept of road mapping, when we started all of this, so we've been. Functioning as an institute since 2012, so for 10 years now. And the 
concept of road mapping was not nearly as pervasive as it is today. Every time you turn around, I think everyone wants to do a road map. Mm -hmm. But what was really powerful in developing that Department of Defense roadmap was bringing all of these communities together. You know, we, our government is quite large, just like many large organizations are. You, you have to, at some point, sit down and boil things down to requirements so that we understand what do we need to have performed, not how we're going to do it or any of that. We, we can identify those, you know, the, the gaps once we understand what we need. Um, but, but going through that exercise has proven to be, and we've done it, it maybe as an even more impactful way in the standards space in developing the Additive Manufacturing Standards Collaborative with ANSI is laying out where are there, what standards need to be produced and where are there gaps so that we can create some kind of North Star and get people going in the same direction. So there's a, a fair bit of the work that any of us are trying to do is focused on that, that concept of rowing in the same direction. And, and, and do you measure your progress on, by, by using the roadmap? Do you think that's an appropriate way of doing this? Or Yes, we, we, we do. We actually measure it by demonstrating um, a capability against a requirement. So if, and again, that is not perfect by any means, because we only have visibility into great, you know, obviously great visibility in the work that we're doing, pretty good visibility into some of the other funded efforts that are shared, because we have folks who share their, their content with us so that they can be shared more broadly. Um, but ultimately, yes, we try to show that a requirement has been identified, you know, task A, B, and C were executed, and we now have realized this particular capability. Um, it's certainly not perfect or pure, um, but we are measuring it in that way. Okay. And what do you, if you look forward to the five years, it seems like you're in a big thinking mode right now, or have you kind of come up with what you hope to achieve in the next five years or so? The next five years for, for us is about getting, really focusing on the increasing of adoption side of things. I think. You know, between that materials availability and, 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 you know, creating materials data that is shareable and, you know, continuing to power through the qualification and certification challenges and hurdles that exist, but to get us in a position that that knowledge is more widely known is where I see our, our big opportunity. And as materials in that qual space mature, I believe we can make progress against the adoption side of things. But I, I think we've goes back to this concept of, you know, the future is now. We, we, we know what can and should be done, but the distribution of that knowledge is insignificant today. So we need more people to understand what you know and what I know and what others know and, and get that word out so that those smart folks can start to understand where and if it applies to what they do. And as we make progress there, we can see that hopefully hockey stick, if you will, of adoption come into play where we start to see it accelerate quickly. Lot, to, lot to, for you to do then, uh, John. Well, John, thank you so much for being on the show today. 
Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, Max, thank you for being here as well. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Travis. And thank you for listening. Uh, This is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.